July 12, 2016 started out as just another day for Matt Emmons. At the time, Matt was an IT technician with the Illinois Board of Elections. And just as everyone in the office was getting settled into the workday. I think it was about 10 a.m. One of his colleagues noticed something strange with the state's voter registration system. It essentially was at a dead stop. You couldn't do anything. So Matt's colleague went about troubleshooting and found that the server hosting the voter database was running on overdrive. Something was jamming the system. So he took a look at the requests coming in. What's normally a trickle of orderly requests it was like five times per second was suddenly more like a flood. It was shortly after that that I, I believe I got called over there. It didn't take long for Matt's team to realize they were under attack. Within an hour, they found and fixed the security hole that the hackers used to get into their system. And then, for good measure, they took the whole system offline while they started looking for the culprits of the hack. Breaking news out of Washington. Twelve Russian intelligence officers indicted today. Accused of we now know this was part of Russia's attempt to meddle with the 2016 elections here in the United States, which of course has dominated our headlines ever since. The Russian cyber attacks will... And while we continue to talk about what happened back then, the next election is just around the corner. Facing off government-backed hackers from Russia, Iran, North Korea, and even China. Are states and municipalities ready for the next one? I'm Aki Ito. You're listening to Decrypted. Stay with us. So, Kartike, you are a cybersecurity reporter here at Bloomberg Brand new to our tech team. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. You're just getting started on an incredibly complicated beat here. I am. It's been about a month. I am uh, totally overwhelmed. And I, think, <laughs> I, I think I should be because there's just so much to understand in the world of cybersecurity. Um, there's so many threat actors that pose risks to companies and states and political parties. Fortunately, my focus will be on election security, and so I can narrow down my attention reporting on that, and, and hopefully we'll have a lot of interesting conversations to have in the weeks to come. So this is the thing that you're going to dedicate the next year to? For the next year, I hope to be your guy in election security. For our listeners who don't quite remember all of the details of what happened back in 2016, and this actually includes me, can you go over what Russian hackers actually succeeded in doing back then? What they succeeded in most was disinformation. And we're going to set that aside. What we're going to talk about are the three major hacks of election systems in the United States. We are learning more about the hack into the Democratic National Committee, including... The first was of the Democratic National Committee, which I think everyone knows the most about. On the eve of the convention, WikiLeaks released thousands of emails from the... And there are a number of emails in which senior officials can be seen conspiring against Bernie Sanders. The chair of the DNC, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, has announced her resignation. It comes after those leaked DNC... We actually ran an episode about this three years ago. So our listeners are well-versed. Very good. 
The other two hacks they may not know as much about. Just in, Governor Ron DeSantis now says Russian hackers gained access to voter databases in two Florida counties ahead of the 2016 presidential election. The first one is Florida, which nobody knows much about. The DHS and state officials have been secretive about this one. The governor can't say the names of the counties involved because he signed a confidentiality agreement with the FBI. Hackers sent phishing emails to county officials. Two of them clicked on the links and allowed Russian hackers access to their database. All we know is that votes weren't changed. Then there's Illinois, which you know a lot more about because they've been forthcoming about what happened. And briefly, what happened was that in the middle of June of 2016, hackers found an unlocked door in the voter registration database, got in, and downloaded as much information as they could. After three weeks of downloading and trying to change information, they said, hi, Illinois, we've been here all along, and they shut down their system. This was the thing that Matt Emmons and his colleagues discovered all the way out in July. That's right. So three weeks after they got in, in the middle of July in 2016, Matt Emmons and his colleagues discovered that Russian hackers had been in their system all along trying to gain access to social security numbers, driver's license numbers, names, addresses, phone numbers, anything related to your voter registration information. They found that 76,000 people's data had been accessed by Russian hackers in a way that they could relate these data points to actual people. And do these people know who they are? They do. So they all received notifications in the mail shortly after the hack informing them that their data had been compromised. Nothing that's followed indicated that Russia did something with these names. But they do have the information. But they do have the information. That's right. So Illinois says nothing happened. No data was changed because Russian hackers only had read access to the data. They could download as much of it as they wanted to, but they couldn't actually change anything. They didn't have right permissions. The Department of Homeland Security told the Senate Intelligence Committee earlier this year in a report that we saw that they could have done more. And they state, quote, why they didn't is an open-ended question. Yeah, it's weird. If if they were able to go further, why wouldn't they? The answer to that is pure speculation, both on my part and the Department of Homeland Security. They don't know the answer, but the worst case scenario there is that they were seeking intelligence for the future. So that next time they really want to access a database and change something, they know how to. Or that they were there to drop secret malware that they can trigger in the future when they want to. Officials on both the federal and state level believe that there is no malware in the Illinois voter registration database. Theoretically, if hackers decided to do more than just download names and addresses from the voter database, if they actually made changes to that database, what could they do? Because this is different from going into the voting machines, for example, and changing the ballots themselves. So the worst case scenario here is that when you arrive to vote the poll book that has all the voter registration information wouldn't match up with your own information. You couldn't verify that you are the person who registered to vote, and you may not be able to vote immediately. Or you may have to cast a provisional ballot that might be verified and might not in the future. 
And why would hackers from, let's say, Russia want something like that? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, it's a form of voter suppression. There might be fewer ballots cast if the registration system has been altered. B, you sow mistrust in the election system. There are fewer people coming out to vote if they believe that even by registering to vote, when they arrive, they can't actually vote or vote in the way that they expect to. So they're creating roadblocks and mistrust in democracy. So what is Illinois doing this time to better protect their systems? So all states got a portion of $380 million from the federal government in grants, and they matched that with a small portion of their own. So $13 million in federal funds and $5 million from the state to hire new staff. The biggest hiring push has been in a program called Cyber Navigators, which is probably the coolest name in election security. (laughs) Sounds kind of nerdy to me. It is kind of nerdy. Election security is kind of nerdy. So they've spent a large chunk of change hiring these nine cyber navigators who oversee different pockets of Illinois. And a lot of these counties don't have much IT support. So these individuals are meant to be the front lines for these counties and ensuring that any vulnerabilities that currently exist are plugged. So they're going to go through cycles of assessment between now and 2020 over and over again to ensure that there are no new vulnerabilities between now and and election day. Are they doing anything else? Illinois has a couple things going on. They have what are called Albert sensors installed. They allow both state and federal officials to monitor Illinois' voting apparatus 24-7. So if there's any outside infiltration, both the state and the Department of Homeland Security will know and should be able to respond. They also have the National Guard on call. Huh. And, And what would the National Guard do? National Guard is available in the event of a hack on Election Day. So if a remote county in Illinois is infiltrated, the National Guard can call on their cyber warriors to get in a chopper and fly to DeKalb County to respond to any hack to protect the integrity of the election. We'll be right back. So before the break, Kartike, you walked us through the different things that Illinois is doing to better protect itself for 2020. It actually sounded like quite a bit to me. I guess the big question is, will that be enough? I talked to a lot of people in the last month and a half, and it's a little more complicated than just yes or no. One expert I talked to is an analyst at FireEye. His name is Luke McNamara. I think you have with the states, many of them playing catch up with the resources they have. And I think it's a very difficult place to be in when trying to reach a a more proactive footing uh, to deal with this threat. As the threats evolve, are these states in a perpetual cycle of playing catch-up? I think some are are putting the right resources in place. Uh, They're putting the right investments in place. But it is a very difficult problem uh, to address. Uh, And there's, there's some amount of irony here in that A lot of the threat vectors, a lot of the the methodologies that we see, even some of the more advanced threat actors utilizing, are very simple in nature. When we look at how the majority of intrusions begin, the the majority of attacks begin, they begin with spear phishing for the most part. Um, And I think even helping 
those county clerks, those election administrators understand how to look for signs of a spearfish and how to identify that, that I think can pay dividends. And that doesn't necessarily need to involve the deployment of expensive technology. By the way, Luke's employer FireEye is helping at least 15 states, along with municipalities and counties, the bigger counties that can actually afford to pay FireEye, prepare for 2020. And so we just heard Luke talk about spearfishing. This is when hackers send county officials an email with an attachment. Something like a click here. Exactly. They shouldn't be clicking. But when they do, they allow the infiltrators access to their networks. So FireEye is trying to make sure that county clerks aren't clicking. One of the other things they're doing is offering intelligence to local officials about their attackers. FireEye believes that the best way to prepare for an adversary is to understand your adversary, to know exactly why they want to infiltrate your system and how they'll do it. I think certainly Russia, from what we've seen, um, they are have shown themselves to be the most aggressive in going after democratic institutions and processes. And I think as a result, it's very important for us to pay attention to what we see, particularly with European elections between now and 2020. Um, but I think that maybe more hasn't been said about that there are other threat groups that are active in this space. We've seen China target elections, Cambodia uh, last year certainly the case probably as well for Iran. What's at stake when we talk about election hacking? Are you worried about hackers hijacking election results? Or are we talking about the credibility of results? Or is it something else altogether? Yeah, I think in, in many respects, it's the activity that falls short of actually compromising votes that concerns me more. Um, they could do a repeat of what we've seen them do in Ukraine in previous years, where they compromised the Central Election Commission website and then posted out uh, erroneous results. None of the actual results themselves were changed, but it was sufficient enough to cause some people probably to question what is is really real in the situation. So I think those sorts of intrusions, those sorts of attacks, the sorts of disinformation campaigns that maybe fall short of actual compromising and and deletion or destruction of voter data, but can still be effective at causing uh, confusion. Those are things that we should heavily consider and, and be prepared for. Okay, so to sum it up, the good news is that we now at least know to prepare for this, which is a big step. And we also know that the hackers gain access in pretty simple ways, which means the defenses could be pretty simple too. But then the bad news is that the hackers might step up their game this time, and there are now more potential adversaries than just Russia. Does that sound like a good summary? That's about right. And that's probably pretty daunting on its own, but that's only part of the problem. And so I called Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Hi, it's J.B. Pritzker. Governor Pritzker, good afternoon. To talk through the other challenges he's facing. And the biggest one is probably the fact that he's trying to solve a federal security crisis on a state budget. It's a national security issue. Um, and the federal government should be at the forefront. And I'm finding, at least for our state, that the state is at the forefront. And the federal government is there for uh, less than the leadership role. Right. I'm not viewing myself as dependent upon yeah. Washington, D.C., I would say the states would like more help, and we are, um, you know, we've expressed that. By more help, is he talking about federal money? Yeah, he wants Congress and the Trump administration to approve 
new grants to give to states. So far, Illinois has received $13 million in 2018. They matched $5 million of their own. But what they really say they need is $175 million to gut their election apparatus and build a system they believe is safe and secure, not just for 2020, but for the future. So that's a major shortfall. There's a massive gap in what they have and what they need. And so aside from the shortfall in resources to rebuild the state's election infrastructure, state and local governments also don't have the money to hire the best engineers to protect their systems. Look, think about what someone like Ron Garrier, with his background, was probably earning in the private sector. Ron Garrier, by the way, is the state's chief information officer and the secretary of innovation and technology. And so he used to be the CIO at Farmers Insurance and Toyota of North America. And, and then in Illinois, the you know the salaries which are published. So I'm not revealing anything that isn't uh, publicly known. Um, yeah, the salary that we're offering to a CIO is in the neighborhood of $170,000 a year. And I don't think that uh, typical salaries that are offered for chief information officers or chief information security officers for state government are commensurate with uh, being competitive in any way with the private sector. Do you get the sense that the governor thinks Illinois is ready nonetheless? I don't think the governor of Illinois is going to put a target on his back and say, we're not prepared. Come <laughs> hack us. Please, please come hack us. No, no. I think I think uh, they've hired some some good people with their limited resources. The IT technician with the Illinois State Board of Elections, Matt Emmons, what's he doing today? He's running the IT department for the State Board of Elections. And they are working with the Department of Homeland Security and their own internal staff to pepper their system with tests to ensure that there's nobody in their system now who shouldn't be, and there's no malware in their system now. You spent the last month and a half reporting on this topic. Is America ready for 2020? It's so hard to say, is America ready for 2020? Because the truth is that you have 50 states and all the counties within those states that are now tasked with defending the integrity of the presidential election. Is every county ready? We certainly know that Illinois has done everything they can in the last three and a half years to prepare for 2020. But there's all these smaller swing states and counties that may not have the resources that a big state like Illinois has to prepare. DHS is traveling the country to inform these and educate these county clerks But to what extent are they going to take action to respond? And so is the entire country ready? Probably not. But there's time between now and November 2020. And everyone with a stake in the game is probably doing everything they can to prepare. Kardike Mirotra, thank you for your story today. Thank you for having me. Decrypted is produced by me, Aki Ito, and Ethan Brooks. Emily Busso and Anne Vandermey are our story editors. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. 